Good evening, and welcome to our midweek message. This is our third week continuing our Advent series. Advent means arrival, and that's what this season is all about, the arrival of God on this earth. And tonight we're going to look at the moment of Jesus' birth found in Luke 2, 1 through 7. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. What's interesting here is that Luke starts this story not in Jerusalem or Israel or even in West Asia. He starts by zooming all the way out to Rome to the emperor. Caesar Augustus was the most powerful man in the world at the time. He had uh, conquered the known world, ruling Europe, North Africa, and Western Asia. Caesar Augustus was originally named Octavius, the nephew of Julius Caesar. And after Julius Caesar was assassinated, Octavius wrestled control of Rome. He became Rome's first emperor and was given the title Augustus when he was named supreme leader by the Roman Senate. Augustus means exalted one, and his supporters saw him as a god, as a savior. He was a ruler to be worshipped, and the month of August is named after him, if you didn't know that. He was seen as someone who would bring true peace and prosperity to the world. Augustus inaugurated what is called the Pax Romana, which means Roman peace. It was an unprecedented period of peace and stability for the world. But that peace was also a lie. Yes, there was no war, but the law and order that the Pax Romana had brought and was maintaining, it was maintained by keeping a firm boot on the necks of its conquered peoples. And one step out of line, there was swift punishment. And Israel was a particularly tense region because they were a people who refused to worship Caesar. They had their devout allegiance to one God and one God only. So Israel was an oppressed nation by Rome, taxed into poverty and constantly under the watch of their brutal Roman governors. And it's with this man, Caesar Augustus, that Luke begins his story. Well, why? First off, Luke is grounding the story of Jesus into history. He wants his readers to know that it took place in a certain time with certain peoples. It took place in the real world. God really entered into history, he's saying. But Luke mentions uh, that Caesar, uh, he mentions Caesar to also set up a contrast. A contrast between the most powerful man in the world and a little baby that will, be, that will be, be born in a manger. Caesar Augustus, uh, wielding his great power and authority, declares that there is to be a worldwide census and accounting of every soul under his command. Augustus liked censuses, and he used them to organize and take account of his empire. 
With a census, he could know exactly how many people were in each region and know exactly just how much tax money he should be receiving. And for this census, he had every man return to their ancestral home, which is why Jesus, uh, Jesus, uh, Joseph, <laughs> Jesus' dad, Joseph, has to travel all the way to Bethlehem. Joseph was a descendant of King David, and David had been born in Bethlehem. It was known as the city of David because of that. But Joseph wasn't a king. He was a poor carpenter. The line of kings had been broken long ago. Israel had no king. And King Herod was just a figurehead, a puppet of Roman power. Israel was waiting for someone to come save them. The census was a huge display of Caesar's power. All he has to do is say the word and he can force mass migration of peoples to their designated places, all because he said so, all for him. And yet here's the irony. Caesar believes he is displaying his power. He says one thing and a peasant clear on the other side of the empire has to take his pregnant future wife to another town. But the actual reality is that This was in fulfillment of a higher king's plan. Caesar thinks his subjects are just pieces he can move on a board, but little does he know that he is a pawn too. When Pilate tells Jesus in John 19.10, Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. The leaders of men think they have all the power and deserve that power, but the reality is that their power is subject to a higher authority. The prophet Micah in chapter 5 verse 2 had foretold that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. This Messiah would be like David from his family line, born in his hometown, but also greater. This king's reign would never end, and he would be called the Prince of Peace, bringing not a fake peace of the Pax Romana, but true everlasting peace, whereas the Christmas carol says, in his name, all oppression shall cease. So, on the background of this big worldwide decree by the most powerful man on earth, we zoom in on this small, poor couple in a tiny town in a backwater country and see something even more powerful at play. In an event that would seem on the face of it just trivial, another birth of another peasant in the middle of nowhere, there's actually worldwide significance. Joseph takes pregnant Mary from Nazareth, where they lived, to Bethlehem. It was about a 90-mile trip on a windy path, and poor Mary had to make that trip while pregnant. Bethlehem was a small village five miles outside of Jerusalem. Its name means house of bread, which is perfect because it would soon become the birthplace of the bread of life. And although it was the hometown of David, it was nothing great. It was not like Jerusalem and definitely not like Rome. But at this moment, it was crowded. The text says there was no place for them in the inn. And the term used here is often 
talking about a spare room in someone's house. So instead of the traditional image of an angry innkeeper kicking out the Holy Family, probably what actually happened was that there was just no room in everyone's homes. There wasn't really a private and safe place to have a baby. So they find a place where there are animals to have the baby. It may have been a cave or likely a lower room in the house where people usually kept their animals. And Jesus is born and Mary places the one true king of the world in a manger, a feeding trough for animals. And it's an amazing picture of God's upside down kingdom that God became a little lowly baby born not in a palace surrounded by noblemen and guards, but in a cave surrounded by livestock. Jesus embodies the glory of God. He is the king of glory, Psalm 24 tells us. And yet here, even in his birth, Jesus couldn't enjoy the normal shelter and luxuries that others enjoyed. This is, it's such a beautiful thing because it shows us that as Ken talked about earlier, God identifies with the weak, the powerless, the vulnerable, the poor, the humble, the oppressed. In his first recorded sermon in a synagogue, Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah, saying in Luke 4, 18 through 19, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Humans, when given power, often feel entitled to that power and use it to control others for their own selfish benefit. Yet here is the most powerful being in the universe laying down his power and claiming entitlement to nothing for the benefit of others, of us weak, vulnerable, and broken people. Matthew 20, verse 27, The Son of Man came not to, ser uh, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Everything has changed, but no one knows it yet. No one has seen it. And I love that. God shows up in the ordinary. You never know where you will encounter his glory. Often it's when we least expect it. We go looking for God in the big things, the big events, the big moments and emotions. We go looking for glory in the powerful rulers and palaces, thinking that God only works in those places and through those people. But there is glory in the mundane the everyday, the undignified. There is glory in a tiny backwater town, a young mother giving birth, a feeding trough for farm animals. His first coming was a quiet arrival. He came as the servant king to love, heal, and then die. But his second arrival will be for all to see when he comes to finally be inaugurated as the king of kings and lord of lords and reign forever and ever. Thanks for listening to our midweek message. We will conclude our Advent series next Wednesday, and be sure to join us on Christmas Eve, either in person, socially distanced at venue 252, or live streamed online. Have a great night.